Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we are speaking with Dr. David Clive Price, who is a number one best-selling author of Bamboo Strong, Cultural Intelligence Secrets to Succeed in the New Global Economy. Earning his PhD in Renaissance History at Cambridge University in the UK and lecturing on global leadership at Greenwich University Business School, David coaches current and future leaders on how to become bamboo strong by empowering them to leverage personal, generational, and cultural differences in their lives, in their schools and colleges, in their workplaces, and in their local and international teams so they become the best leaders and people they can be. David has spent decades living and working across the globe, helping leaders to achieve their full potential, to develop mental and emotional agility in new and challenging environments. This has been his greatest professional goal. David has a warm and entertaining style, able to easily translate complex theory into everyday language and stories, comparisons, reflections, and humor to keep everyone engaged. Leadership has never been so much fun. So welcome, Dr. David Clive Price. How are you? I'm great today. Thank you, Lily. So where are you now? I'm in London at uh, the River Thames in Canary Wharf, the financial district. Well, we're so happy to have you on our podcast. As you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? Absolutely. And uh, just want to say thank you so much for having me here on the Master Leadership Podcast. Oh, it's an honor to have you. So let's get to it. Can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're currently doing? Okay. Well, I can't say that my path to leadership has been a straight line. Mm -hmm. I started off studying in Cambridge University in the UK and singing in the choir. And there was quite a lot of leadership involved in that in going touring around the world and singing every day. You have to be very precise and often it's rather scary, especially if you have to sing a solo. Uh, So I learned quite early on to control my nerves or to work with my nerves at least. Mm -hmm. And I went on from there, continued to study, and my professors thought that I was good enough to do a PhD. So I decided to join together two parts of my uh, interests. That is music and as it happens renaissance music music of the 16th and 17th centuries which is the kind of music we were singing in the chapel often and history because i loved history Mm -hmm. so the idea then came to study uh, renaissance music history first of all in the uk in the time of elizabeth the first and her courts 
which I expect you've seen some occasional dramas on American TV as well. Yes, uh, I did watch Tudors. Okay, <laughs> and Glenda Jackson and going back, well, all those years, but more recently, while Shakespeare in Love and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Renaissance history, Elizabethan court, country houses in the UK, and yeah, I got my PhD, and from there came the idea, which is about leadership, really. It's showing that what you can synthesize, what directions, you're not only in one direction, right? Mm-hmm. There are the aspects of your life that sort of come together at certain moments, and you can choose paths. And that's, I suppose, an aspect of self-leadership. Then the British Academy gave me a travel fellowship to go to Italy to study postgrad at the courts of Northern Italy to research those, and I lectured at the European University in Florence. Mm. So that was like the first step in my leadership journey. And the second step occurred again at a kind of tangent, but also synthesizing where one is at. I thought that since I have to be here all the time in Italy researching, together with my first partner, we would explore, and we found a little farmhouse in the countryside in Tuscany, a little hilltop town, and we bought that little farmhouse for very little money back in the 1980s. And I started to write there. I didn't continue down the track completely. I wrote my Renaissance book for Cambridge Press. And then I started to write other things. And above all, to research Italian life and culture, literature, and living the Italian style. And I learned my first proper foreign language, Italian, from the ground up, as it were. So these were the first steps in my leadership journey. And from there, I decided to write a first novel. And the first novel took me to New York and to where I lived in a funny little apartment in the Lower East Side in an area which you know, certainly Alphabet City. And that was the title of my first novel. Hmm. So there are different aspects of self-leadership but it was all to do with learning different ways of life, different cultures, starting to learn different languages. And I went from Italy eventually after five years to Asia because I'd been told that Asia was fascinating for different cultures and languages, etc. I landed in Japan, which I found very difficult. I stayed there for a year, didn't quite get into the culture at all, but uh, I was still fascinated by Asia. And then friends said, come to Hong Kong. And uh, I started off in Hong Kong and I met my current partner there, who we've been together 31 years. And because I wrote and had a PhD, I got a position as the speechwriter for a large, famous international bank in Hong Kong. And I stayed there for four or five years. And I then went on to set up my own company advising Asian multinationals and doing strategic communications and leadership work together with those different multinationals. More recently, in the last four or five years, I've returned to London where I coach leaders. And while I was in Asia, and now also, I wrote and published my books, starting off with books on Japan and South Korea and China. And now, more recently, two books on global leadership. So that's my zigzag journey in a nutshell of leadership. Well, you're not kidding. I love it. Your leadership really took many pivots. And I wrote down three words. I wrote down diverse. 
I wrote down rich and romantic. When I think of Italy and Tuscany and, and you were a writer there, I mean, come on. That was fantastic. So you spoke about your last two books. Can yeah. you tell us a bit about that? Well, two years ago, I published a book called Bamboo Strong, Cultural Intelligence Secrets to Succeed in the New Global Economy. Mm. And basically, it's taking the concept of cultural intelligence, which is developed there in the States in the Cultural Intelligence Center in Michigan, and taking this concept and then applying it worldwide to my own experiences and those of my partners and associates, clients, friends, colleagues all over the world, putting those stories together into the book with the framework of the cultural intelligence model, which is a four-part model, which is exploration, strategy, perspective, and action, all under the title of CQ. So we use the CQ framework, which is how I coach leaders. We try to make it as personal, interactive, and relatable as possible. So this is all to do with drawing out the leadership strengths of the people that are coached under this model and hopefully the readers of the book. I'll come on to that again later about the book and what inspired me and what writer, especially an American writer, inspired me. And then the second book is called The Age of Pluralism, which you quite rightly say brings out diversity. The Age of Pluralism and the subtitle is Global Intelligence for Emerging Leaders. And it's very much about bringing on younger leaders into this new, incredibly diverse world that we now have, interconnected in so many ways, intertraveled, multiracial, mixed heritage, third culture kids, all that kind of thing. And talking about the ways in which this new world can be explored and can develop the next generation of leaders to succeed in this new world that we have all around us. In Bamboo Strong, you kind of synthesize the cultural intelligence. And when you talk about cultural intelligence, global intelligence, to me, that's also a part of the emotional intelligence that we need as leaders to be effective in this world. Now, in Bamboo Strong, you spoke of a framework. Exploration, strategy, what were the other two? Perspective and action. If our listeners wanted to get your books, and I'm sure they do, where could they do that? Both are going to be republished in October, Bamboo Strong in a new edition, and The Age of Pluralism will be published, its first publication, both by a press called Wild Blue Press in Colorado. They can go to the website wildbluepress.com or my own website to get the latest news, davidcliveprice.com. Perfect. Now, David, how would you describe your leadership style? I would say that it's not surprisingly, after what we've talked about, my work is much focused on the exploring decision. That is that we make decisions in our lives to say yes or no to new experiences or different experiences, different people, ways of doing things, different behaviors. Mm-hmm. In leadership coaching, we use this exploring decision very much to bring a leader towards the possibility of being vulnerable to accepting feedback from others as well as uh, leveraging their own strengths, undisputed strengths, the strengths that we all know that they have, that their teams all know that they have, but also to use that feedback, that different perspective, that word again, from others to explore within, sort of the leadership within. And so I believe very much my leadership style is joining in Mm -hmm. especially not knowing everything, 
-hmm. listening and observing, gaining knowledge, um, developing empathy, and sharing other perspectives. So that's basically my path to learning and to leadership. You said that you coach. How important is coaching to developing effective leadership skills? I think it's enormously important and it's not recognized perhaps mm -hmm. how important it is. I think we're facing a leadership gap in many countries of the world because leaders, particularly perhaps the emerging leaders, are not being coached or very few of the resources of large companies are being devoted to developing next generation and emerging leaders. Mm -hmm. But we also have a leadership gap in the sense of global leaders all around the world that are not being coached perhaps enough. That coaching is such an important part of leadership and many companies don't value it as much as they should be doing. And I'm with you because I'm in the field of education and coaching is really new to education. It is being explored more, but I believe that that's where we really need to focus in our school systems on how to develop coaching skills. And not only that, for leaders to look into coaching for their leadership, because you talked about a couple of things, one in particular vulnerability in this process. And we're not taught that that is important. We're not taught that, you know, you have to be a risk taker and it requires courage. And oftentimes, Yes. What we need is a coach to help us through that. Yes. It's uh, drawing out the courage to be vulnerable. That is absolutely essential. It's a core strength, curious as that might sound, is a core strength of leaders, is the mm -hmm. courage to look within, to share feedback, to mm -hmm. share with your stakeholders, with your teams, mm -hmm. and become part of something bigger this vision and mission that your organization is moving towards or your school or your college. So David, can you paint a picture for, let's say, a leader who's listening and wants to take that step towards getting a coach of what a first session might entail? Those first early session, one or two, they must all be about goals. They must have a element of measurability in them. What are you going to measure? How are you going to achieve it? What is the goal that you're moving towards? And also, what do you see as your core strengths? What, as a leader and as a person, do you see as the path to further improvement, to a higher achievement, mm -hmm. to a higher performance? Most leaders have reached a certain level of performance. Right. But it's the next level and the level beyond that that is so essential. And for that, you need your stakeholders, your peers. And it's not only reliant on the coach because the coach, after all, is only a facilitator in the process. Mm -hmm. It's developing the relationship and that vulnerability that you have to move onwards together with your peers and with your teams. That is the essential first and second and third steps of coaching. So, for example, I go with leaders into their meetings in very early stages of coaching relationship. I shadow them to presentations or to client meetings or whatever it is that they're dealing with that particular day, day and a half. I have lunch and dinner with them and we form a relationship, a partnership with measurable goals. I think that's the essential part of it. Thank you so much for that. My pleasure. Now, David, 
which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? Well, I have one from Steve Jobs. What he said when he rejoined Apple after it had gone into the doldrums for a while, he rejoined Apple as CEO and then it took off in incredible ways. And he said, here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in square holes. While some see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the very ones who do. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's a great quote from him, isn't it? Yes. Tell me why that speaks to you. Well, because we're always schooled into thinking that we mustn't rock the boat too much. Or that to be a high achiever in an organization means that we must not step too far outside the line. Or that the people in our teams that, shall we say, pop out with originality should be put a little bit back into there, as he says, the round pegs in the square holes should be put back in the square holes. But those are the very people, the inverted commas, crazy ones. They're the ones who are bringing originality to the table and are bringing leadership to their teams. And they're the ones that are creating innovation. So although some people may think of themselves as genius and therefore cultivate being rather crazy and look at me, I'm oddball and people never understood me. That is not necessarily it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that doesn't mean I'm a genius. Those that don't exactly fit the mold are the ones who bring joy to our world and abundance to our teams and to our businesses and to our schools and to our colleges. So David, are you one of the ones who think that you can change the world? Uh, (laughs) That is a good question. (laughs) I have my mission, right? I want to make the world a better place. That doesn't mean that I automatically think I will change the world but I would certainly like to make the world a better place with what I'm doing. And that's what I've always lived by. I've been thought we're one of the crazy ones and one of the square ones in the round. (laughs) So this qualifies me as one of the crazy ones, along with you. Good. Because even if you create that ripple, that ripple can make a change. Yes. So I'm with you. We're part of the crazy ones team. Yeah, we have to live with that. Okay, there we go. I'm honored to be teamed up with you. (laughs) And to all the crazy ones in the world, we dedicate ourselves. That's right. And I believe a lot of those are the ones who are listening as well. So, David, what type of leader are you inspired by and why? Well, as I was saying earlier, leaders who are able to delegate, inclusive leaders, those who are able to share, because it takes courage to be regarded as more than simply a boss leader. You know, it's easy to be the boss leader in many ways. They're taking charge. We follow. That's it. That's the boss, right? Right. The one who takes all the decisions. However, I strongly believe that those leaders who seek the input and feedback of others and, as we said, are able to be vulnerable in the sense of accepting their own opportunities to grow as well as to exercise their strengths, they're the ones, the very ones who are the most successful leaders and most successful team players, precisely because they are team players. You know, I appreciate that because you keep emphasizing vulnerability and that certainly does take courage. And sometimes in educational organizations, that's not honored, which really stifles growth, right? 
Yeah, you got it, Lily. Absolutely. It yeah. stifles growth. It pushes back the growth mindset. It stifles innovation. And what's intense about this, David, is that if as a leader, I'm not taught that vulnerability is valuable, then I am not going to teach that to the people I lead. And so yeah. it causes this stifling or this stuck culture. Yeah, I like that. The stuck culture, which becomes self-fulfilling. Mm -hmm. I'm listening to this podcast. I'm learning about vulnerability. What are some of the first steps that I can take to get unstuck? Within your own groups, within your own teams, within your own school or college, to get unstuck, I think, means listening and observing a lot more. Mm. It's amazing. We don't listen enough, do we? We don't watch what's going on. We don't observe enough. We're not curious enough. And the way to really get unstuck, I strongly believe in my travels around the world, in my sometimes inverted commas crazy <laughs> mindset or zigzagging, to get unstuck, we must be curious. We must be ready to listen and observe and learn from others and not be knowing everything, not being safe not always relying on exactly the same people as us. You've got to take two steps out of your own little world, I think, to listen and observe what's going on elsewhere, how you can contribute, how that maybe slightly changes your perspective on things, how to get out of your own particular rut and to explore. There's all to do with leadership. So it's just that curious step. I love that because... Even if you're in an organization or in a culture that's really toxic or yeah. stuck, you can begin to make that change or cause that ripple by deciding to become someone who, like you said, listens more, observes more, becomes more curious, and yeah. is a risk taker. Yeah, and a calculated risk taker too. It's because of what you've learned, observed, and listened to that you take those risks. Hey leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. If you haven't downloaded your copy of the Master Leadership Journal, go to masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ to get instant access and begin growing your leadership with questions that have been curated by top level leaders. I've also included some cool extras for you at masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ. David, what's the best advice you've ever received? Well, simply to become the very best you can be, not just as a leader, but also as a person. Mm -hmm. Continually strive to improve and to learn from others, as we've just been talking about. That's so essential. And be mm -hmm. courageous and curious. I've always tried to follow that. Maybe my courage has you know, held me back sometimes. It's not been as good as it should be or as strong as it should be. But I've always tried to be curious. That's one thing that I really want. I guess maybe perhaps also because I'm a writer and a novelist. I like to know what makes other people tick, what the situation is, right? When we're saying we're going to make ripples, don't forget that we're going to make ripples strategically. We're not going to just go out there and make ripples. And splash around. You remember I said about CQ, a cultural intelligence strategy. Cultural intelligence includes many things. It includes emotional intelligence, as you said. And it includes getting on with people of many different backgrounds and nationalities and races and generations and genders and sexuality, etc. Ethnicity. These are all part of leadership, of strategic, what I call the CQ strategy. 
being someone who wants to create ripples and being someone who wants to be the very best that you can be daily is a higher calling for sure. And it requires sustainability. What do you do on a daily basis to maintain that mindset? Well, I always start the day with a 30-minute quiet time for myself, which it involves a little meditation. It involves, in my case, a little bit of a Buddhist prayer. And I try to set out my intention, not just for the day, but for the week and for perhaps the month ahead. So that 30 minutes of quiet time is essential for me to start the day. And also, I've forgotten one essential ingredient, gratitude. Be grateful. Every day, I encourage myself mm -hmm. to be grateful. It's amazing where the mind takes you. There are many things we can be grateful for in our lives over a broad range of things, just little daily things right up to big things. So gratefulness at 10 minutes of being grateful is really essential for me. And I'm grateful for that because I was going through a funk. You know, and I started to remember, I mean, I've done plenty of interviews and this is something that's a thread with a lot of effective leaders is that gratitude mindset. And right. I started to implement that and just remember to be grateful. And it just really shifted my yeah. heart. Yeah. So I think that's powerful. Yeah. So. It changes the vibration for the day. Yeah. Thank you so much. So David, what does it mean to you? to have a good team, and how do you build and sustain one? The first step, I think, is to surround yourself as much as possible, strategically again, mm -hmm. positive and supportive people. I mean, it may sound obvious, but it's amazing how we let ourselves drift into situations where we have some people within our circle who are, are not so positive, definitely drawing us back, holding us back, perhaps even injecting negative vibes into what we do. So you must build a team or surround yourself with supportive people, positive people. And it's amazing how far you can go with positive people around you. All this is based on mutual respect and trust. You need people that you can trust, that you respect, and you can achieve this by giving in your circle. It's just as important as receiving. Generosity. The strongest leaders, they've got great charisma. And it's based on empathy, of emotional intelligence, thinking and feeling how other people think and feel and sharing with them. So that, I think, are the essential ingredients, elements of a strong and supportive team. You mentioned charisma. And when I look at someone who's genuinely charismatic, because you can put on a charismatic show mm. and it, it doesn't really land, but someone who's genuinely charismatic is someone who to me, is comfortable in their own skin. Yeah. So how do you develop that? Yeah. Being comfortable in your own skin, it can come from external things mm -hmm. at certain stages in your life, like, hey, you got a good degree, or hey, you've done well in your exams, or hey, your parents are pleased with your progress, or whatever it is. That doesn't necessarily make you comfortable in your own skin. Mm -hmm. um, and oftentimes in your life, there are moments when you don't feel so comfortable, when you're not sure. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the moments when you need leadership the most, the self-leadership the most. Right. When I was 23, I came out as gay to my parents. And that for me was a very difficult step. And 
I knew it would hurt both parents, but particularly my mother was emotional. She came out with a big outburst. My father wanted me to go on, you know, to be a PhD, et cetera, et cetera. And it seemed for a moment as if their dreams had gone somehow. You know, it was quite dramatic in a way. On the other hand, I had enough self-leadership to know that we were going to get through this. And the way I tried to do it was, listen, I'll go away for a weekend. And I wrote a little letter to them. And within like three or four or five days, we were starting to talk again. I gave them books. And little by little, they met some of my friends. They found out that I was still on my track to do my PhD, and et cetera, et cetera. And through trying to be confident in my own skin, I got to the other side. And they did too. And I think that those moments in life are very important. So being comfortable in your own skin, yes. At times, you know, we go through low self-esteem. We go through lack of confidence. I've had one other big challenge in my life, which was to be too dependent on alcohol. Mm -hmm. In my 30s, it somehow developed and crept up on me. And before I knew where I was at, I was, you know, on my back in Tokyo and in a little apartment, you know, every night, practically on the kitchen floor. Uh, with sake bottles around me. And I mean, these things can happen. They came low self-esteem, perhaps lack of confidence. I couldn't get on in Japan. Whatever it was, there could be many psychological reasons. But thankfully, someone took me out of it and took me to AA. And there at AA, somebody again, while we were talking, said to me straightforwardly, uh, I said something about Buddhism. I said something about compassion in the meeting. And I shouldn't have opened my mouth. It's just too highfalutin for perhaps for what we were talking about. But in any case, it came out wrong. And somebody said to me quite brutally, hey, man, you're going to be full of BS for a long time to come. You're just full of it. And afterwards, people came up to me and said, uh, listen, he's just crazy. There's no need to say that. And I said, I don't know, maybe he's got something. And indeed, that was just the beginning of a series of sort of self-examinations and steps back to sobriety and mm. regaining my confidence and self-esteem. And I gave it up and I haven't drunk alcohol since. But there are moments in life, you know, where you're not just comfortable in your own skin and you have to recognize that. And self-leadership is one of those big things. That's why I'm always talking about leadership from within, very important moments. Then I could fully respect my own gifts and be respected and loved and achieve clarity on what I wanted to do in my life. And there were big challenges and fortunately I overcame them. So that's a little example for anyone out there who is also facing up to moments of difficulty or challenge. Well, David, thank you so much. You certainly exemplified vulnerability, charisma, and generosity. So thank you so much for sharing your story. We should look at ourselves and also we need people, right? And this yeah. is where coaches would help us to grow. Yeah, for overcoming my alcohol, I was coached by my partner. Mm-hmm. We've been together for 31 years now, but took me out of that, took me to the meetings later on with support and love, helped me through that and friends too. And yeah, we must recognize the people that have supported and loved us. Right. Thank you. Now, David, can you tell us about one of your greatest successes? Um, I've mentioned one of them, which was the PhD. Um, I think that moment of synthesizing that, getting two streams of my life together. I always felt pleased about that afterwards. Mm -hmm. Uh, Music and history. Yeah, go with that. (laughs) 
And then, of course, going up to Italy and British Academy Fellowship, everything seemed to come together. I guess it does so at some moments. You know, we talked about the down moments, well, also the up moments when life seems to carry us on the back of its stream. And I was very lucky with that. And uh, I do feel that it was a, a big success, not simply because of the honour, which it was, but also because it's taught me to explore and love new cultures. Because I could go to Italy and because I started to learn the language and pick up this and that, and I started to have friends in the countryside, Italian country farmers, go to their dances and do the ballolisha, as they call it, pick the vines and do the olives and all that. And they taught me all of that. Gee, that's your crazy wild side. Well, it's not that wild. <laughs> <laughs> it was wild in a way. It's certainly off center. But yeah, I'm proud of that because it was the key really to the rest of my life. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. Now, David, what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working climate or culture? Well, you know, we always hear so much from leaders who said going into different countries and cultures or different parts of their organization or different departments. You know, I told them this is how it should be done. And you know, they weren't doing it right. All they needed was a good piece of advice. Step one, two, and three, this is how we do it. And I often hear that. I still hear that all the time. And it's amazing, you know, with multinational corporations or the smallest teaching team or college where people said, I went in there and shook it up. They needed to be shaken up, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't think that's the right step. Mm -hmm. If you're discouraged by your working culture or climate, wait, learn. Listen. Instead of making waves, go and seek out trusting relationships. Be strategic, like we've talked about, and share feedback on the way things are being done at the moment in reality. So don't go in and lecture or seek to change everything. Find ways to make incremental improvements and build slowly your team. Be strategic. And I say your team. And I don't say your tribe. That doesn't mean, you know, I've got to have these people on my side versus the other people on their side. It's mm. about carefully building bridges. Leadership is about knowing when to make those changes and how to delegate effectively. And above all, it's all about trust, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Trust is so essential. So if you find yourself in a difficult working environment, try to find ways to build trust. Beautifully said. Now, I'm curious, I know that words are important. Why do you prefer team to tribe? Well, because of the current connotations of tribe are very excluding. What we hear from our politicians, what we hear from some of our people in public life, etc. We hear really a tom-tom of drums. Join us. This is our tribe. We're not talking about our team, we're talking about our tribe, right? We hear it in Europe, in the US, etc. And this is something I talk about in the age of pluralism. The modern version of tribalism is erecting walls and excluding people and having those on the inside versus those of the other tribe on the outside. However, the history of tribalism is very much different. I include a little study of North African tribes in my book and point out that there and in Africa and indeed the North American tribes would invite people from the other tribe into their 
tribe, when there were things to iron out, when there were difficulties, some tribes would make sure that they intermarried with other tribes so that in future, in any conflicts or difficulties, they would have a natural alliance. Uh, so the idea of the tribe, yeah, unfortunately, has come into public discourse now a lot. But what we want to make is to create successful teams. I think that's a, a very important distinction. Mm. These are good conversations to have because words do matter. So I appreciate that. You know, I wrote down something where you were talking about what to tell a new leader. And you said not to create waves. So I wrote down, create ripples, not waves. That's the new book, David. That's it. Yes, I like that. <laughs> All right. So, David, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? You know me. I always welcome new challenges. And what I'm learning now is what I've always tried to rely on is to exercise what I call my muscle of the mind. Some people call the software of the mind, which is cultural intelligence, but muscle of the mind, you know, this empathy, this emotional intelligence, this curiosity through my new coaching clients, through creating and achieving new uh, certifications and assessments, and through developing my books and tools and frameworks to help others succeed. And these are very much my learning processes now. I am flattered when somebody says you're a lifelong learner and I rather enjoy being one. And I actually don't think about it that much. I just think, as I am currently thinking, how can I use this new certification I've gained? I've become a trainer in Global DISC, it's called. It's an assessment for working globally or working with people of different backgrounds. And I've become an intelligent leadership master coach with um, framework process blueprints uh, founded by John Mattone in the States. And I'm becoming a Marshall Goldsmith global leadership assessment coach. All the time I'm trying to get better and to provide more value to my coaches, clients, etc., and to my world. In my books, I try to do the same. These new certifications now are in the age of pluralism. So our listeners, if they wanted to connect with you and learn more about your services, they should go to your website. Can you repeat your website again? My website is David Clive Price, one word, D-A-V-I-D-C-L-I-V-E-P-R-I-C-E dot com, davidcliveprice.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Now, yeah. if there were something you could change in education, what would that be? We're hearing a lot about it here in the UK, and I guess it's the same in the US, that the learning of languages is really going down very dramatically. And I think somehow education systems should be offering more, encouraging more people to learn languages. Because I believe very much that they are a window on the world, and that without languages, we are somehow a little bit lost in our own much smaller circle. Like they said about exercising the muscle of the mind, languages really help you to learn about other cultures, learn about other mindsets, what we call global mindset, but what we really mean is finding out about other countries and cultures in sometimes in very straightforward ways, you know, like the cuisine of a certain country or the movies of a country or what your friends so that come from a different background, slightly different background to you or from another ethnicity or what they're really interested in and what floats their boat. You gain diverse perspectives. And I think our education systems should be 
focusing a lot more on different backgrounds and different behaviors, different cultures, really, different mindsets. Maybe incorporate some travel there, right, for the kids? Yes, and maybe incorporate some travel. Yeah. Wonderful. I'll sign up for that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, so, by the way, you can do it very simply in your own backyard. You can do it in your own hometown. Just go and eat at a different restaurant, right? That's right. You can do it in all kinds of different ways. Make friends in different circles. Go out there. Explore. Love it. Thank you. Now, David, what have you read, listened to, or watched that our listeners should as well? One book, and I mentioned it earlier, Bamboo Strong and The Age of Pluralism, actually. What influenced both books is a book by Elizabeth Gilbert, who is a well-known U.S. novelist, a wonderful writer. And the book that particularly influenced me is called Big Magic, which is a great title. And what it's really about is about overcoming your fears that hold you back from creativity. And what she talks about is all the kind of creative stumbling blocks that we have in the way of doing things that are new. We put them in our way. We often see them where they're not there or if they're there we worry far too much about them and then you know we get burned out the project is never completed etc elizabeth gilbert does wonderfully in this book in a wonderfully uh, conversational and come on in and sit by my kitchen stove and let's talk about things kind of way that's what i love about the book it talks about creativity but it talks about it in a very accessible easy way intelligence witty colloquial, all those nice words, but it's all about discovery. We mm. can discover things all the time. It's influenced me in writing novels and it influenced me, in particular, the style of it. It influenced me very much in Bamboo Strong and the Age of Pluralism because it's inviting people in and it doesn't give scientific or difficult frameworks to deal with. It initiates conversations inside of us. And I think that's what's so wonderful about our writing. So. Go and find it, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Highly recommended. Yes. Okay, great. And so Bamboo Strong, The Age of Pluralism, and Big Magic are on my list of books to read. Okay, so David, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? Well, I think don't override your luck. You know, we talked about making ripples. Mm -hmm. Don't go too far on your luck. Don't overdo it and save resources in times of abundance. Mm -hmm. um, say yes to adventure, but also be prudent sometimes. Other people, such as loved ones, may rely on you now or later as a support. So try to find balance, try to achieve balance in all you do. And that same thing I keep coming back to, listen, 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 because <laughs> you'll never know it all. You know, I do this podcast to help me practice listening. <laughs> <laughs> now, David, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't addressed? Well, I think the only thing that I can say now is talking to next generation leaders. Please look out for my new book, The Age of Pluralism, because it's about next generation or emerging leaders in an increasingly plural and diverse and multiracial and interconnected world, a really vibrant and exciting world. And I think that's what we have to look forward to. Wonderful. And that's very much my mission to help support in the world going forward. 
I love how you paint that picture. And I think that is something that we need to strive for and look for because quite often, especially nowadays, we fear that the opposite is happening. So being forward thinking and creating that ripple is important. So this too shall pass. David, Mm -hmm. thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. It's been such a great conversation. It's really been a pleasure and and inspiring and fun to speak with you, Lily, and also uh, to speak to all the next generation leaders and educators who are out there ready to step up and make the world a better place. Go Go crazy ones. Yes, go crazy ones. (laughs) Strategically. Yes, strategically. All right, take care, David. Bye now. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.